Hello again from Malcolm and Malcolm. We're back with another episode of Talking to Myself. And we have a lot going on. It's been a little bit crazy. We are now getting started with our summer placements. So I'm going to be working at the Washington Nationals Youth Baseball Academy, doing a little bit of STEM work. And Malcolm, what are you doing? I'm going to be at uh, the same school I was at this whole year, Friendship Public Charter School, Southeast Academy. Uh, teaching second graders rising into third grade. So. Yeah, so we're sort of getting ready to um, have our summer where we prepare to start taking over our own classrooms. I know that I just got, well, I should say, I, I got the email saying <laughs> uh, that I got accepted and that they're excited to have me, um, but I haven't gotten the contract yet, so we'll see when the contract finally comes, but um, as of right now, I do believe that I will be working at Washington Yu Ying Charter School, teaching first grade, which is a little bit of um, a different grade than what you might have remembered me doing, which was fourth grade. It's a little bit of a jump, but I'm excited for the challenge. How about you? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm happy to announce that um, I have signed to work at Eagle Academy. It's a public charter school out here in Washington, D.C., um, in Congress Heights. Um, and I'm gonna, uh, I'm also going to be teaching first grade as well. So that's pretty exciting that both of us, Malcolm and Malcolm, will be teaching first grade. So you know we'll be able to build off that and talk about that. But I'm very excited, and I know from what I've talked on previous episodes, this is great for me because I actually really wanted to be in early childhood, and so I'm very excited to be teaching such an important grade. I think after like signing my contract and really thinking about it. I was like, wait, like first grade? That that's a big deal. That's the grade where where that they really the learn how to read. That you yeah, that was perfect. Sure. Like it's right in the middle between like, you know, pre K, kindergarten, first grade. Um, I did second grade this year too, so yes, it's it's nice. It's gonna be nice. I know Malcolm was pretty excited to be able to talk curriculum and to be able to do some fun things uh, collaboratively coming up this school year, so I'll have to lean into a little bit of that uncomfortableness for me uh, and hopefully leave a lot of room for growth. So should be very exciting. We'll see how that ends up coming up or sort of manifesting into this coming year. But today we're going to be talking to ourselves about this coming school year. What are some fears that we have mm -hmm. and... What are sort of our expectations? I know that I've had a little bit of time to sort of communicate with the administration. And uh, I think based off of this experience, I sort of have some hopes, some challenges, some things that administ administrators can really do to support incoming teachers and sort of help alleviate the discontent between trans transitional time periods, right? Mm -hmm. When you're coming from one campus or one school year to the to next school year. Mm -hmm. So to sort of get us going, um, we're going to start with what is your biggest fear coming into this, uh, this coming academic school year as a first year solo lead teacher? We had a sort of an opportunity to lead teach this past year, but now we're going to be up at the front. Our name's going to be on the data. What are your fears, Malcolm? Um, so I would say my biggest fear is probably those first six weeks oh man okay i think over the course of the, like this first year when we were learning about classroom culture 
and making sure that you know your rules and regulations and your routines are in order and really building that classroom culture so the rest of your year can be effective and impactful i think that's my biggest fear just making sure that i'm really detailed i'm very intentional and i'm very focused on those first six weeks of building this classroom culture of a learning community where the students are engaged they know that i care about them they know that i respect them they care about me they respect me they know that we're here to learn but we also find some times to have some fun and to explore and everything like that so i think i'm very cautious of like always i'm always right now thinking about okay like those first six weeks what are you going to do from day one what are you going to say to your students how are you going to keep up your consistency what routines are you going to have i've even been thinking about minor details of like pencil routine like oh man yeah. pencils need to be sharpened okay how are we going to do this like do i want them to be able to go and sharpen their pencils all right what kind of system am i going to have for stuff like that so i would say that right now is probably my biggest fear yeah we've talked about that in previous episodes about how vital that classroom mm-hmm. culture can be to supporting your success throughout the rest of the year right it's not just is each lesson just the life-changing lesson that it needs to be but is the classroom culture in which the lessons being given supporting Mm -hmm. the knowledge that is trying to be imparted right yeah i think that's a really fantastic one malcolm Mm -hmm. um for myself personally for me, it has to it has to be the jump. I'm just really worried about the the grade, the, level, the grade jump. level jump for me. It. It's you know there's just a huge difference. I feel like to people that may not be in the educational world, hearing a fourth to first grade jump might not seem all that. Um, what's the word? Might not seem that alarming. Mm-hmm. Those that are in education know that there is a fairly large difference, especially when it comes to foundational knowledge and mm-hmm. social and emotional skills between fourth and first grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember last summer I was working with rising first graders, uh, and that's going to be what I'm going to be having this coming year. And I had a girl, a young girl in my class, who every time she got upset, she would go completely silent. There was nothing I could say, nothing I could do. Mm-hmm. She couldn't express to me how she felt. Mm-hmm. And to be a teacher that wants to help your students but finds themselves in this predicament where you want to help your student, you see these students upset, and all they can give you is a blank stare with tears streaming down their face, I was, I was shook. Mm-hmm. I was so shook, and it left a sort of bitter taste in my mouth mm-hmm. and coming into this coming year yeah I think along with setting up a classroom culture because that's also going to be incredibly important and going to be slightly different from the way that you might set up a classroom culture with fourth graders mm-hmm. where you can have sort of a more intricate conversation uh, I, I don't want to use the word in depth because you can have incredibly in depth conversations but just the conversation just looks different with mm-hmm. fourth graders uh, how I'm going to do that, coming from the background that I have, and two, being able to set up a space that teaches 
the language for my students to be able to have those conversations mm-hmm. for, for them to be able to express themselves um, and for me to be able to express myself to them yeah. one of the things that I remember we had talked about last summer with my I talked about with my host teacher she said a really cool fun way to sort of engage younger students in talking about their emotions is using an emoji stick mm-hmm. um, so having an emoji stick that has different pictures of um, of like emojis with the name of however they're feeling mm-hmm. underneath it so they can begin to associate those faces with their feelings so they can rather than having to tell you that they feel that way they can just pick an emoji stick and give it to you and that tells you mm. how they're feeling that's very interesting um, yeah so to sort of alleviate that that lack of knowledge or to build mm. a scaffold that lack of verbal knowledge mm-hmm. around that so yeah I, I think I think that would have to be it man um, what how, how old are they seven six they'll be six and seven mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah six they'll seven be, year olds they'll be fresh yeah. they'll be fresh out that's what i really i mean and it's funny because that's your fear but that's one of the biggest things that i'm excited for is that freshness that six and seven year old you know fresh blood i think i think it's going to be great and i also think as like as you were talking one thing that you could use from your experience with the older grades and you know one of the things that you talked about is dialogue I think one thing that you'll be interested to see is how intricate and in-depth the dialogue can be with first graders. And I think, like you said, it's about that learning environment, right? It's about giving them, one, you said the tools, you know, to scaffold, and then the space, creating that open space that allows them to communicate and feel like you respect them as communicators, as kids who have their own thoughts and have their own ideas and everything like that. So I do think it will be interesting for you to see that and how you build off of that, that technique, because I think that's very important for teachers of all grades is to realize that even though these kids are are young, they can still talk and they can still speak and have a dialogue. Like I worked with some three-year-olds towards the end of this year, and you would be surprised the way they can talk and just listen and have a conversation with you and go back and forth, you know what I mean? So I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, how do you think this sort of dialogue um, in terms of wanting to communicate and have these intricate ideas with your students, how do you think that's going to change? We didn't necessarily talk about our school's backgrounds, Mm -hmm. so that might be a little bit important for this upcoming question. Mm -hmm. My school is about 30% white, 30% 30% black, oh, and then the too. rest of the 40% is sort of this conglomeration of uh, biracial or mixed race children, Asian, um, Hispanic, et cetera, et cetera, versus, you know, your your school. 100% black, 100% yeah. at risk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how do you think those conversations might manifest a little bit uh, differently? I mean, I know at my current site, we just had a bunch of conversations around students or children that come from areas that are filled with trauma Mm -hmm. and how that can many times 
dictate or change the way that students interact with their environment because many times rather than having any sort of recovery and coping mechanisms sort of deal with experiences of trauma mm-hmm. they're many times in environments that are constantly traumatizing mm-hmm. if that makes sense and many times that happens to be in marginalized and exploited communities of color mm-hmm. so well so you want to know how the dialogues you believe will differ in our classrooms I feel like I feel like they will yeah, I'm just wondering they how do you will. how do you imagine that to sort of well one of the biggest things that I could probably see what you'll notice and it will, it will be very interesting to follow up and talk about this again and look mm-hmm. back one thing that I think you'll see is you'll see a lot more vocabulary within your kids yeah and you'll see I think a clear sequence of what I want to say of like connections of ideas like more of an a b c mm-hmm. sort of progression mm-hmm. because you know there's research and, and you can see it like I said when when you talk to kids from like, from different backgrounds, um, are you talking about racial backgrounds, socioeconomic, racial, socioeconomic, all of, all of them? Yeah, that those kids they're they're spoken to more and they're spoken to more like adults. You know, the research you know shows that the more you speak to kids, the more you you kind of have those conversations with them just normally instead of like trying to dumb down the conversations that they pick up on it more and they're able to communicate themselves more so I think you'll be interested to see how that plays out in your classroom when you start having some conversations the dialogue I'm sure sometimes the student will say something you're gonna look at them like whoa you're six yeah (laughs) exactly and I know from conversations that I've had with students at my school at the same level you I'm even surprised sometimes at the vocabulary they use but also I could see how their vocabulary is limited and so they're only able to express certain points and certain ideas and they're not exposed to as much. Like I remember a really profound moment when I was talking to my kids, we were talking to them about, we were doing a social studies lesson and my teacher was teaching them about community and the mayor and stuff like that. And a lot of them didn't know, one, who the DC mayor was. And I thought that was pretty important that they didn't know who the DC mayor was. Then they also, weren't really updated with the fact that Trump isn't the president now. Like they were still focused on Obama and Barack Obama, Michelle Obama. And those were like really the only politicians that they were able to recognize and somewhat have an opinion about, but they didn't really have an opinion about it because they're not really exposed to, you know, worldly news, national news, because in their scope of the world, you know, when they're when they're at home, their parents aren't necessarily watching the news or talking about politics and talking about going to vote and talking about what's happening and reflecting on the or world. Or even have that access. channel up mm-hmm. on the TV, just yeah. in the background. I know my mom used to do it all the time, but I know a lot of households that's not always the case. Yeah, so. exactly. So for them, their scope is somewhat more limited, and so it's more for me. It's more scaffolding and exposing them to that information. So they can start to form an opinion and then we can talk about it. Mm. So I will be interested to see, yeah, it's like you said, our schools having different backgrounds, how that will play out for us and what conversations you'll be able to have and what conversations I'll be able to have and stuff like that. Yeah, I think that's that's something I'm still just struggling with. I really appreciate your background in mm-hmm. that and also just like your passion for 
um, this early childhood development. Something that I definitely am going to be leaning on you uh, <laughs> coming up for sure. Um, so coming into this next year, what do you expect to excel at in the classroom? You know, we talked about what we feared, mm-hmm. but when it comes to what you feel like you just got down packed, what do you feel most prepared to actually be able to do? You know, it's, it's very funny because I think my fear and what I plan to excel at is on like the same coin, the two sides of the same coin. Because one thing that I really do think I'm gonna excel at, excel at is my classroom community. Mm. So even though that's like my biggest fear, I think that when it's all said and done, when I plan it out and I start implementing it, that, I, that I'm going to have a classroom culture that is really built off a foundation of love and trust and security, which is really what I'm aiming for. And then I think leading that, I think I'm going to have great student dialogue. Great student, yeah. yeah. And I think that my students are going to be able to communicate themselves because I give them the space and the tools to do that. That people who come into my classroom, as far as like administrators, parents, other teachers, whoever it may be, they're going to be somewhat impressed about how much my students want like to talk and how much they discuss and talk amongst themselves. Because for me, that's a big part of my uh, pedagogy of what I want to practice is one thing that I don't think that we do enough for black and brown children is give them credit for dialogue. So we focus a lot on writing and being able to fill out tests and answer questions. And something that I learned through this past year is that a lot of my students, when it comes to writing, they have certain difficulties with spelling and writing complete sentences and stuff like that that starts to get to them and it hinders them from excelling. But the same thing that I want them to write about, if I ask them about it and I just sit down with them and ask them to talk about it, they'll just spew out information, they'll have opinions and facts and references. And I think that should be part of the grading skill or the part of the way that we, I hate to say measure students, but we, I wanna say maybe analyze our students in saying that, okay, your writing skills we could work on, but that doesn't mean that you don't know, right? That doesn't mean that you're just not doing well. You're you not understanding. Yeah, you're still comprehending. Your tool or your the best best method for you is through communication, dialogue. Um, so I definitely want to focus a lot on that. I've been thinking a lot of ways of like taking out um, certain assessments or switching the format of them to where yes, it's not just a test. But it might be, I'm, I might have the students doing some independent work or group work, and one by one, I call them back to the back t- to the teacher table with me, and then we talk about the book we just read or the material we just covered. And while they're talking, I'm taking down notes and crossing things out, like covered this, talked about this, understood that. And then that's their grade. So that's sort of like a reading record? Almost, yeah. The, that's funny, because as I was talking about it, I was thinking of a reading record. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, because I do, and I, I remember telling one of our professors that I really love the reading records because I think they give you a great view of what a student can do and what they're understanding and mm-hmm. doesn't constrict them to just one aspect of it. So, Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, you took the words right out of my mouth. I'm going to be totally honest. <laughs> that I, I, you know, if I had to pick something for myself that I was going to possibly excel it would be... Similar vein, building strong connections with my students. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's something I do really well. And going into this coming year, I think I'll continue to excel at that, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it comes to building that classroom culture. I really feel like that's something I should be 
at least conceptually in my head, I will be good at mm-hmm. to to provide some sort of other piece um, to reflect on. I feel like I will also be really good at, or have I have plans to be really good at communicating with parents. Okay, I know so much about some of the things that I've been hearing over and over and over again about our students is that communication with parents when it comes to when your student is not doing well is what most parents think about Mm -hmm. when they think about teacher to parent communication Mm -hmm. and I want to sort of fight against that narrative as much as I can Mm -hmm. to really build positive relationships with parents so that when I'm giving a call home, it's not just Alexander was not sitting in his seat, mm-hmm. but it was Alexander had a fantastic day. We got through, you know, he expressed a really interesting point when we discussed our book earlier today. You know, that, those are the things I want to highlight in my classroom. I agree. And to be able to invite those conversations that are happening in my classroom to happen at home as well Mm -hmm. and to sort of bridge the separation between classroom and home Mm -hmm. if that makes sense no i agree i agree i i I want i want to sort of develop a plan i I, I feel like i feel like the best most personal way is to give that phone call Mm -hmm. imagine trying to have like 24 Students and trying mm-hmm. to at the end of each week give them all a call home may not be the most feasible, but maybe breaking it down into it's at the end of each week like six, mm-hmm. uh, and so then over the course of a month, uh, the first week it will be these six uh, students, and the next week will be these six. You know, mm-hmm. break it down like that, and sort of continuing to build that um, familial partnership mm-hmm. is something that I really. Not only do I feel like it's important, but I think I'm going to be pretty good at doing it. So. Yeah. No, I think that's very important. Yeah, I, I agree. For me, that's that's one of my worries. I, I think once I get into it, I'll be okay at it and I'll be pretty good at it. But for me, that is one of my worries and one of the biggest things I think is going to take me time mm. to really, like you said, develop a plan and say, okay, this is how I communicate with parents, this is how often. There are a lot of tools out there too though, that's what I've been considering too. And to piggyback off what you said of kind of reconstructing that narrative of teachers only talk to parents when things are going wrong, I definitely agree that we need to talk to parents more when it comes to positive things going on in our classroom. I I would definitely agree with that. I know one thing that I have thought about is using Classroom Dojo I know that's a very popular teacher tool, but I want to use it almost as a new form of social media or use it like in a manner of social media where throughout the day, because like you said, making those phone calls is going to be pretty taxing with parents' schedules. It's going to be kind of hard to connect and everything like that. Some parents don't even like the phone calls. They prefer some other form Um, of communication. But when it comes to Classroom Dojo, one, you have a whole classroom stream where everybody can kind of tune in and see things. You have, you give students, you can, you can provide students with the tools to post their own updates if they want to share their work or make their own online portfolio. You can teach students how to do that. And then 
you could just message parents throughout the day. So like you said, if you have Alexander, who did really great, turned in some really awesome high quality work, you know, you have the access to snap a picture of it right there on the spot, boom, send it to his parent. Look at this, Alexander's doing awesome today. Hope you enjoy the rest of your day, boom. And that's something that over time, especially if you have a difficult parent that it's hard to get in contact with, I think with the consistency, if they see, okay, this teacher is constantly sending me messages, updating me on my students' progress. I Let me make an effort to talk to them and let them know, like, hey, I appreciate everything you're doing for my child. It does require you to be so vigilant, though. Yeah, you do have to be. It has to be part of your everyday planning. It really does. It really does because, yeah, you have to constantly be thinking about that. And I think it's very important because I think building back to building our classroom relationships, the more that the student sees that the teacher and the parent have a relationship and that they're working together, the more comfortable they're going to feel in the learning space. So. For sure. And going from our work in the classroom, I think both of us are going to be dealing with, not, I don't think, we are going to be dealing with some new administrations. Mm -hmm. And we've talked previously about how administ administrators have a pretty valuable job when it comes to setting school culture mm -hmm. and setting school expectations and school environment, teacher expectations uh, holistically. And so going into the school year, what are your, what are your expectations or hopes for how the administration not only welcomes you as a new teacher, but provide support for you. Um, what sort of things do you want them to be allowing space for you to grow as a professional? I know I personally am really excited. I'm at a dual language um, and a, a Chinese immersion school. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I'm really pumped about is that the school has started creating uh, language education programs for the teachers, right? And That's sort of, really cool. man, making it so that uh, teachers are also the ones that are having to sort of stretch themselves when it comes to learning the new language, right? It's not mm -hmm. just expectations on the students. I think they do a really fantastic job of holding their teachers to be continuous learners alongside the students, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I also think that my uh, administration has done a really great job so so far mm -hmm. of communicating that they are open to having a, a growth a team growth mindset, right? That we are going to be new teachers um, with some experience under our belt, but that they want to to open up the conversation, open this open up the space to allow us to try new things with the curriculum and try, fail, learn, come back and excel better the next time. Mm -hmm. And that, I guess, has alleviated some of the fears I've had in terms of having an administration that's sort of, you know, always over my shoulder, yeah. um, sort of haunting Mm -hmm. uh, haunting me uh, over this first year because I want the space to be able to try some new exciting things as someone who imagined themselves to try and want to be 
a radical educator mm-hmm. um, to try some things that are outside the box, yeah, and sure. they may be successful, the but they may not be. <laughs> and I would hate to have an administration that was like, cut all that. <laughs> nah, we're doing it straight by the book. And so that's one of the things I'm really excited about. Mm-hmm. What about you? For me, I would say that I don't have necessarily any expectations for administration. I think I, I'm probably a little jaded when it comes to administration based off my <laughs> recent experiences. <laughs> I think I, that's the best way to put it. Where I'm, I'm, I'm more cautious of anything and more just waiting to see how administration will be. From my brief experience with them through the whole interview process, mock lesson and everything like that, I do have hopes that my administration will be supportive when it comes to coaching and professional development, especially being a first year teacher. I really want to feel supported. I really want to feel as if, if I have a problem, or I feel as if I need more professional development that the school administration will invest in that for me. So whether it's sending me to a workshop or to a conference, whether it's coming to observe my classroom frequently, giving me feedback, sitting down with me, talking about my grows and glows, that's what I'm hoping I receive. I'm also I'm also hoping, um, in addition to what you said, that they are willing to give me some leniency of, you know, okay, yes, he's a first year teacher. You know, he has some great ideas about what he would want to implement inside his classroom. Let's give him some freedom to do that. Let's see what works, let's see what doesn't work. So I'm hoping that they're willing to build on me, build with me um, in that aspect as well, because that would be nice because yes, me too, I have a lot of things that I really want to try, experiment with, I do want to push against the grain a little bit. So I am hopeful for that. One thing that I... Um, that building with me is a pretty yeah. key... Mm-hmm. That's a key component that it's like a mutual yeah, relationship. Yeah, exactly. I, w- I want to be able to talk about the things I want to try. You know, sit down with them and say, Hey, you know, I'm thinking I have this idea that I want to try with my classroom. I just need you guys to support, let you guys know this is what we're doing. And hopefully they say, okay, cool. I know... Um, at Eagle, they they pride themselves on focusing on the whole child, and so a big part of their curriculum and their instructional time is geared towards the social emotional content. So I'm hoping that that is true, and so when I am focusing on that content, I don't get a lot of pushback about we need more instructional time for content. I hope that they're open and saying, okay, yes, you know, we pride ourselves on social emotional development, especially being in first grade. We need these students to get that down. So I'm, I'm excited about that, and hopefully they stick to that because for me that's a big piece of what I want to teach. So. Yeah, and I think these conversations that we're having are important. This conversation in particular is important. Um, all the things we've sort of been discussing because I think it's important for new teachers to realize one what types of thoughts and experiences mm-hmm. and fears other first-year teachers are going into the mm-hmm. profession thinking about. I also think it's important for uh, administrators or even senior teachers who are going to be getting new teachers into their spaces for them to be realizing where are where are their, these new teachers coming from mm-hmm. um, and what sort of things. I'm sure that they all had similar fears when they were going into their new school, but you know, if you've been in the profession for 10, 15 years, then 
I'm sure that you might not fully remember what it was like coming in for one of your first year teachers. I'm sure they do, actually. You're like, you know, they remember every single last little bit of it. Yeah, so just, uh, it's just, uh, you know, important conversation for us to be having, not only for ourselves as we continue to reflect, but Mm -hmm. hopefully some new teachers who hear this or some teachers that, uh, some of the maybe residents or people in similar positions as we were in this past year Mm -hmm. um, can, can know what they might be thinking coming into this, uh, the their year after this one mm-hmm. so yeah because it is it's a world of difference like that's one thing i keep thinking about even going into the summer you know leading in the summer for the first time and totally different mindset. yeah i it's sometimes i can't even wrap my head around it like f- for me school starts on monday and so i've just been planning so much and thinking and even though it's only a month you know maybe a month and a half for some people to me i'm like okay this is a big deal like <laughs> I need to get right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I just, uh, I think that has sort of led us to the end of our podcast today. So, yeah, yes, thank you. Yes. Thank you for listening to us talk to ourselves. You know, we talked about our biggest fears going into the school years, our first year being a solo lead teacher, some of our expectations, what we think you know, we'll be good at what we think we might have some trouble with, what we're prepared for, what we're not prepared for, what we're preparing for, and then also our views on school administration and that leadership aspect of it. So we'll definitely be following up on these conversations over the summer as we have more contact with our administrators, talking about our summer experiences leading and how that will impact us going into the school year. So I think it was a very good conversation for me, it gave me a lot to reflect on. I would say that my biggest takeaway is something that you brought up with the parent aspect of it Mm. and really planning that out like detailing that out of yes how often will I contact my parents how will I contact my parents what how much availability will I provide my parents I just keep thinking about it am I giving my phone number am I giving my phone (laughs) number (laughs) am I just gonna stick to dojo will I be emailing am I gonna do home visits Will I go see my kids on the weekend? You know, all these things Mm -hmm. that you just have to think about making yourself available. You know, how much can you really invest in that? So I would say that was my biggest takeaway. What about yours? Yeah, I I think in the same vein uh, as one of the very first things that we discussed, thinking about how we're going to be setting up that first six weeks of Mm -hmm. the classroom. I don't know if teachers or even our program has stressed enough as from what i've seen how important it is i don't think they stress enough just how important those mm-hmm. first six weeks are like yeah we should have planning sessions we solely really for that. should i mean it I mean, is we just should, we should host one absolutely cool. insane um how much setting that classroom culture at the very start of the year like if you don't get some of those things down right then and there then you'll be battling mm-hmm. your the students whole year. throughout the whole entire year so making sure you set up those that one that classroom culture uh those classroom routines is going to be really important for not just uh lesson success but a, a year of success in your classroom exactly exactly so Definitely be on the lookout for more conversation about that as we continue to plan. Make sure that you do check us out on all our social media. We're set up everywhere. We're on Facebook, the 
link the at is at talking to myself that's the number two talking to myself edu our website is talking to myself.org instagram talking to myself underscore edu so make sure you check us out on all our platforms as we continue to update and share material and then also make sure if you're listening whatever podcast provider you're listening to us on make sure you subscribe we release episodes every two weeks So we'll hope you tune in in two weeks for the next episode of Talking to Myself.